Thank you for listening. This is the Legends Podcast by All Day Vinyl, and I'm your host, Scott Duddleson. After you finish this episode, please subscribe, rate, and check us out on Instagram and YouTube at All Day Vinyl. Today, I'm excited to speak with a true legend, a founding member of one of the great San Francisco bands in the late 1960s, incredible songwriter, guitar player, and cool dude, Peter Lewis of the Moby Grape. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Appreciate you you coming here. So you've had a long and storied career, and we're going to start from the current and move our way back. I know last Good, yeah, that's better. Yeah, I like that better. I like that too. I don't like people saying, "Okay, well, we're you know, well, start from the beginning." I said, "That's too." It's like if you do that with something, you can't. You got to be, be able to back engineer something to really understand it. All right. So imagination, which you released last year. And you wrote a number of the songs with John D. Nicola. And just right. for context of, for our listeners, John wrote two of probably the biggest pop songs maybe ever from the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. I've had the time of my life in Hungry Eyes, just pop, pop gems. And I want to ask you about what it's like to co-write with John. How does that collaboration work? And how did the Imagination record come to fruition? Well, it's like anything I do, it's like I'd be inspired by, you know, like a, a situation. And he showed up at one gig we do. I think we played in New York two times as a kind of last permutation of Moby Grape, of which there have been many, you know. It's like, anyway, so at this one permutation, we played in New York, and here comes John DiNicola. And I got to know because he was. You know, he got backstage because he's smart, you know, so he knows if he wants to meet you, he will, you know, kind of guy. And so I met him, and he could play. He's also a musician. He's not just a fan. So I, we, next time we played there, I had him playing a keyboard part on a song that Skip Spence wrote and that I liked it. We were doing all our favorite songs at that point, you know, from a long history of having made these records that nobody ever bought, you know. So the people that were our fans were all at this gig in New York. And so it was real crowded. And the gig came off and John played keyboard on this one soon. It was a real creepy song about when Skip Spence, you know, who had just for, for historical reference was the first drummer for the Jefferson Airplane. But, but, but Jefferson Airplane was using him because he had cool hair now because he, he was really a guitar player, songwriter, singer, but they liked him because his hair was cool. And so Barney Ballon saw him at the Matrix one night and came up to him and said, hey, you're my drummer, you know, because they were trying to have a rock band instead of just a folk rock, a folk a singing like the Mighty Wind kind of band, which is what the Jefferson Airplane was, mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning. It was like cliche almost folk thing. And then somehow they... You know, they heard the birds like we all did. And they thought, man, we should get electric instruments. We can sing as good as those guys. And so Skip was their drummer, but he was really a guitar player, singer. And so he, they fired him after he, he was really a Pete, Keith Moon, not Pete, Pete, what was his name? The drummer for The Who. Pete Moon. Keith. Keith. I get Pete Keith mixed up. Anyway, so Keith Moon, like drummer, because he was just very, you know, he, all the chicks were looking at him because he was cool and he was very, you know, positive energy. And 
you know, the airplane was very serious in those days. You know, it had this message that the you know about life being unfair, the folk message, you know, and, and like, uh, and and it's not, that ain't fair, man. Like we shouldn't have war, and or you know, there shouldn't be black people being you know treated like shit. And so, you know, they play these folk rock songs, serious, but skip back, you know, like playing like crazy, like Keith Moon, you know, so it's like, they, they told, he just, he knew it. Though. And so he wanted his own band. He wanted his own band. You know, I want to play up in the front line. That's why I'm doing this. I'm a good songwriter. And he did write some songs with the first, air, in the first airplane album. Sure. So anyway, Skip, you know, I'm just talking about Moby. Great. When we got together, we weren't about, you know, what's fair in the folk world, you know, who didn't give a shit about civil rights. We are just about fun, having fun. That's what our idea of playing music was, that you should be out there playing music because it's fun, you know, not to give anybody sort of a, a message. And so Moby Gray showed up right in the middle of that serious San Francisco shit, and everybody thought, yeah, we want to have some fun, you know. And, and I mean, Moby Grape was such a unique band because the five of you were all singers and you're all songwriters. And you in, in the band didn't necessarily collaborate with the other uh, members on their songs. How, how does, over the years, songwriting collaboration, especially with John, getting back to the new record real quick? Well, yeah, that's that, that, like I say, going to John. Yeah, that was an, an experience of, of having done something with somebody that I never did before. You know, is to, is write a song with somebody else. You know, really, unless I was sitting in a in a room with those guys, and and it became like you know everybody wrote it, but it was just a jam. You know, and I and, I I heard an interview with Don Stevenson recently where he praised you, and one of the things he said is that you're a perfectionist. You, you think that's, is is that an, is that a fair assessment on on how you craft your your work, your songs, your music? Well, I didn't get that. You're a perfectionist. 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 No, man. I just, I'm like, I came from the, the movie field, or my mother was an actress, so I grew up around filmmakers, you know, and so they were very not perfectionist necessarily. I think we we're trying to do is make something look real that really wasn't, you know, but convince people, yeah, this is. And so the actors, they have to be in character to do that, you know? And if you're talking about perfectionists, I mean, it's like, he's, as far as perfecting a character is no, concerned, perfecting, perfecting. I, I might be. No, no, I'm just saying with music, it's more of it's at its best when it's not trying to be perfected, but it's cool anyway. Yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, and then, you know, it, it's like a, you want it to be more of a creative process. You know, if you get stuck... The movie makers are more like they have to have it. They have to have it all planned out, you know, because if you don't, you know, it's like you waste a lot of money being existentialism. It's in movies, you know, somebody is, it, some people like to, I think it was movies, John Cassavetes, where they just get a bunch of actors together and say, okay, you know, and they're all fucked up in their personal lives anyway. And so, and, and just say, go. You know, and then the, all this shit happens, and they get it on film as close the, as you the can. Moment, absolutely. And yeah, well, there's like, there's a lot of music that's made that way too. 
And when, when you guys, when you first got together with the other members, Moby Great, Don Stevenson, Jerry Miller, Bob Mosley, and uh, Skip Spence, did you, did you feel that authentic oh, yeah. immediately? Oh, yeah. You know, we, we, we were good. I mean, all you got to do is hear Mosley and Jerry play, and you say, this band's going to be, somebody's going to listen to this shit because it's good. I mean, it was good playing, you know, like those days, if you could, it knows people still, they play even better. now. I mean, music is like sports where, you know, the younger people watch what you do and they do it even better than you do. That's right. You said you set the template. There's no, well, I did, but I was doing, I was trying to kick somebody's ass. It was my idol too. Right. Well, who Rick, is, who is your, who is your idol at that time? Rick Nelson. First Moby Grape album, the self-titled album, which is a classic. I want to talk about the album cover. I guess I could start about the album cover is famous in part because Don Stevenson, the drummer is, has got the middle finger out and that caused some controversy. Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. Tell, tell us the story about that. Well, no, that that's just all that shit just happened. It's like, we weren't trying to be rebels or fuck you, or we're not, we weren't into that, but we were going all over Marin County with this guy that was trying to, Jim Marshall, who became a famous photographer, was trying to get this album shot for Columbia. And we were driving here and there. No, that ain't good. Come on, you guys, you know. So he, he had a vision for it that none of us had, you know. But he saw us as these guys that were were there to kick ass and take names, you know. And we're, America is, uh, we're going to run it now, you know. We're not waiting for the love to show up. We're going to take it now. You know, we're going to, we're, we're out here to t mean, you know, we looked like we're soldiers on that cover, you know? And it's like, I, I don't, it was just because after all that long day of going around trying to figure out what this guy wanted, we ended up in front of this antique store and everybody was very angry at him. We wanted to have the session be over so we could go and smoke some dope or play music or whatever else we wanted to do. Besides being there with this guy that was taking us from one place to another, seeing if he liked this or like this. Hey, man, okay. you know, like at the end, Don Stevenson just was like, well, fuck you. You know, if that's it, you're going to keep us doing all that until you get tired yourself. And then we never get shit. We're getting something right now. So just for the spur of the moment, the whole thing just turned into that shot, man, which was like who people thought we were when they bought the record. So we have to show up and, and we're going to lead everybody to the promised land, but that, you know, they're going to turn our guitars into, you know, we're going to fight with these assholes here. are going to take over, you know, going to just take it from them, you know, and we're not waiting for any kind of a peaceful exchange of power. It's like, you know, I mean, Moby Grave was like being seen that way is, is and so we had to do something about being perceived of as these guys, the guys showed them on the first album cover, you know, but truth is we weren't like that. All we wanted to do is just have some fun, you know? And so it got to be this weird thing where it was a disconnect, you know, and it affected, you know, we're looking for what we want and they just want us to be what they think, you know, what they th think we are, you know? Did you play any, did the band play any role in the choosing of that photo? No. I mean, you, when you sign with Columbia, they make all the artistic decisions. That's the, that's the deal, you know, but 
they can sell you. You can. They think they can. They can make you a star, you know, because they have, like I say, kind of a stranglehold. Columbia C, being also CBS, which was the CBS News Network, and, and all the rest of it, you know. I think my mom might have had a TV show on CBS for a couple of years or something. But CBS was huge. And Columbia Records was just a, a sub-company, you know, a record company that belonged to CBS. You know, But CBS ran the whole. And they wanted, uh, I don't know why they let us show up with the, because they're very conservative. Right, right. That's you, know, I mean, they got, uh, you know, Doris. Today, that would, that would be huge. That would get so much press and probably blow the band up instead of having a, a backlash. And we were just musicians. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and absolutely. Columbia, without knowing it, they didn't know it. I mean, right away when they got blowback for having the American flag on there, the, the, somebody, some censors, government censors, went to Columbia and said, hey, you can't use the American flag in front of guys that are flipping the world off. Yeah. And, you know, you can't do that. So they took and they just made it black, you know, took all the elves they could get and yeah. repainted that flag so it was just black. And that was like even worse, you know, it's like we're in pirates or, you know, yeah. like, in, you know what I'm saying? And so you how- I mean, as I got even worse and worse until Skippy went fucking nuts. And uh, flipped and out, what yeah. Way, what way oh, did he man. go nuts? And oh, yeah. at that session or in general go nuts? No, no, I'm talking about he had to be committed to no, an institution yes. like the wanna, guy. I want to talk about that. In the, like, like, the, like the guy in the Mighty Wind, yes. you know. But, I, not, I but, 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 but not, but more, way more violent than, than that, you know. I mean, there was, he, Skip was on a violent trip. Yeah, let's, when did, you know, Moby Grape had so much talent, the five songwriters, the five singers, but it was also two of the main members, Skip Spence, who we're talking about, and Bob Mosley, both had me uh, severe mental illness. Right. When well, did I mean, they, they look, you know, I mean, those are the two guys that, I mean, when you're, <laughs> when you're Bob and Skip, it's like not being crazy. But, but if their personalities are such that if you put too much, you, if you put too much of a thing about having them just respond to you or something and put them in a certain ca a position, yes, they will act. But I was in a place when I was 11 years old because I didn't want to go to school. So my dad put me in an institution, you know, for a couple of months. So I'd learn, I'd say, well, you like to do, sit there and do that or would you rather go back to school? And so I said, I'll go back to school because they promised to buy me a guitar. And when I was in there, I used to see the TV once a week or something. And they showed us that Rick Nelson was on there, you know, because his parents had a TV show. He played a guitar at the end. And I was just fascinated by him. So I said, I'll go back to school if you gave me a guitar. And they did. So I got out of there. But I'm saying, I know what it's like to be crazy or be treated like you're crazy. And you're not. It's just that somehow, you know, you get to a point where you can't give them what they want and something else starts to happen, you know, like this, whatever has been, we've been suppressing, you know, if you're in a situation where you're getting screwed over, like we were in business because of our old manager that took all our money and we didn't have any money. We were in court with this guy for 40 fucking years. Right. He just died. And, so, and we won our name publishing back in the, 2005, but it didn't happen. We weren't going to make us 
any money because it's like our heyday was over, you know. But this guy got paid while we were all out there, you know, homeless sometimes and sometimes not, you know. But uh, that's what happens to some people in that business, you know, I guess, you know, at least it happened to us. That was that is what happened. Yes, you know, yeah. that you can't not put that in here because that's the truth about what happened. Now we're going backwards. So we were going to reverse en engineer all this. And so I'd say, but why did that happen? You know, and I would say because we couldn't stand control of this preconception people were trying to put on us or their expectations. We couldn't, we felt like we wanted to have it be okay to, to not respond to something that was happening outside of us. We wanted to be expressive. We wanted personal freedom. We didn't want to have to, you know, be this market item, you know, thing that Columbia was trying to sell Moby Grape, you know, and it was very, we were not into that whole scene, man. By the way, I have to say this to other musicians, you know, that the money part of it and the success is not, it's what you should be doing it for, you know? And in those days, we were just doing it because of, it was, we just didn't want to have to get day jobs to play music, but playing music was fun. I mean, it was fun being a part of a music that was really something to shoot for. When I was listening to my idols, people that were, you know, inspiring to me, they were great musicians, you know? Not that I'm a great musician, uh, but I know what a great, I, I would want to be, you know? And so I'll, I'll never stop wanting to be a good musician, you know? Whether it, I am or not, it's like, it, it's just as long as I keep trying to do it, at some point, that's what I'll do, you know? I mean, you see what I'm saying? No, absolutely. And you, and, you I, don't, and I don't think our goals were the same at some point as Columbia. But I didn't go nuts like Skip did, you know, because I wasn't hung up on heroin, you know, and uh, he got hung up on heroin. At, at what point? At what point in the the life? Hey, I don't know, you know. Yeah. I mean, I was right there, but I wouldn't know. I mean, that's the weird thing. It's it like happens. all of a sudden he gets, you know. I was in L.A. getting trying to get Terry Melcher, who produced the Birds, to, sure. to take over our second record because I didn't like what was happening in New York. We were doing it back there with this guy and uh, David. And David Rubinson is a good producer. He produced Taj Mahal, the Chambers Brothers, Tower of Power, all kinds of groups. Got very successful. But David was like, we were our, he was our, we were his first band. And he got where he got because of Moby Grape, you know. And, but he wanted to be in New York because he didn't want to, you know, leave his family in New York and come out here and do a record with us, a second or third record it was, I guess, or second record, yeah. yeah. And so he just wanted us to have to all go back there. So we did our record in New York. And Columbia has a bunch of studios back in New York too. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we get in the, we, we leave our family so he doesn't have to leave his and go to New York to try to do our second record. And in the middle of all this, we're still doing gigs and it's all this like being lonely and, you know, it's like, and Skip flips out because, you know, he's just for, for trying to make himself feel better he, through some contact he made at a gig or something. He got some heroin 
And, you know, well, this will help you sleep tonight, man. You look tired. You need some rest. You know, so he shoots up, works on him, works on it. He feels better the next day, but he didn't help him with his loneliness and his psychology, but at least he got some sleep. And so the next night he said, gets a little bit nervous because you need some more of that to go back to sleep again, you know, and so forth and so on. So at some point he took off. It was like one weekend and he took off. I was in LA, by the way, get trying to get another producer for the band. See, I wasn't, I had quit ostensibly because I didn't like what I saw happening, you know. I mean, not to the band members. So I said, if you guys want to stay here and continue to do this and not be with your families and let this guy have it, whatever personal idea, you know, we're, we're in this together, man. You know, he's our producer. If he doesn't, we'll get a California producer where we can stay at home and do a record. And with our families, it can be more of a cool thing and not just this, put the pressure on these fucking guys, you know, get him in a room and make him do this record before we let him go home, you know? And so Skip just flipped out in the middle of it, you know? And, and so he flipped. And when I say flipped out, he took off with this chick after a gig we did someplace or they did without me. Cause I was trying to get another guy to produce the band. See, it's like this whole thing in those <laughs> days. And so I was in the studio with Terry Melcher and Terry was the guy that produced the birds, Paul Rear and the Raiders also produced Jack Jones. Yep. His dad was Martin Melcher. Martin ran CBS at that time and, and was married to Doris Day, who was his, Terry's mom, you know. And I knew Terry. And I said, Terry, man, we need you to produce our second record. It's just turning into Sergeant Pepper and we're a rock and roll band, you know. Mm-hmm. He said, I'd love to, man, but the rest of the band members have to want to go do it too, not just you, you know. So right then the phone rings and it's the bass player mostly. And he said, he, I picked the, you know, I remember Candace Bergen was it that was there. And she had been, I had taken Candy out a couple of times. And, but he, she was now Terry's girlfriend. And Candy was like sleeping. I don't know what happened to her. Man. She was pretty tight. And then she got, you know, like trying to be a hippie, maybe because Terry was definitely, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of a hippie Terry was, but he definitely had tried to look who was as long. You know, he was seen as, as a hippie. You yeah. know, people thought he was, and he was, he was hippie. It's kind of, he lived like that, you know, just did what he got up when he wanted to and it went to bed and what the, the fuck he wanted to do because he could sort of a, had a great job and was good at it, you know, Terry. So here's Candy Bergen and the phone rings. She said, hello. And sometimes I it's for you. So I grab the phone and it's Bob Mosley. And he said, Skip just flipped out. And it, that's it, man. You know, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, like, he tried to, he showed up. He wasn't there for a weekend and he wasn't there. We did a gig. He left after the first night, showed up three days later with this chick, you know, and they were at this apartment, or not the apartment, but the Albert Hotel where they were staying in New York. New York and uh, he was with this chick, and Skip had a fire axe, and he was he he decided you know he's trying to chop the hotel room door down to the drummer's room to get in at the drummer for some fucking reason, you know, because they had cooked up some idea that Skip was like the reincarnation of Alexander the Great or something. And this 
this chick was Cleopatra because they had seen, <laughs> what was it, that movie? Oh, Cleopatra. Gotcha. No, they haven't seen it yet. Or yeah, they have seen it. And, you know, and, and they thought, yeah, we're, you know, like, because, you know, she had this thing about taking over the world, Cleopatra. And this chick was like, we met her through the Rolling Stones. I don't know. I don't go into a whole thing, man. Yeah, do it. Do it. If you, uh, got, a, if you got a minute, go for it. I'm, I, I'm here for it. Well, we were just hanging around him for a couple of minutes because their manager was this guy, Alan Klein. Alan Klein's business, business yeah. partner took over for our guy when we fired him because he stole all of our money. So we had this, we couldn't play even because we had signed a name to rights to our name away to this old manager. It's a very strong, sad story, man. I'm just saying that we had this guy. Yeah, you got ripped thought, off. That right. we thought was like a father figure to us. And he turned out to be just a, it's demonic, you know, this guy that stole everything, you know, stole our money, you know, just figured out how to get us to sign shit that made it legal for him to just take every dime we made. And that's what happened to Moby Grape, you know? Yeah. And then we ended up with this other, with this guy, Alan Klein is was the Beatles business manager. He was also managed the Rolling Stones. Wasn't he Alan, a legendary crook as well? Huh? Wasn't he a legendary uh, crook as well? Well, he was not so much of a crook. He was like an underworld character. An underworld, know, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so everybody was scared of him because if you brought him a restraining order, they'd find you wriggling in a ditch someplace the next day. And so Alan Klein, we got with him because... He could keep our old manager mm. away, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's where Alan Klein shows up, and that's how we met the Stones, you know? Because and, uh, yeah. they had a place in New York where we'd all hang out called the Salvation Club, which was like a penthouse of an apartment in Central Park South, and they had the whole top floor made into this club that was like, you know, or, or Alan did, you know, because... They keep the stones safe when they were in New York to keep them out of off the streets because they were like, you know, like the rest of us. We wanted to go out and see what was happening, you know. But the stones created too much of a stir out if they're not in a, if do, doing what they wanted to do. You know, you couldn't do that out there, get in trouble. So Alan got them this place to hang out. And so we got to go hang out with them there. And, you know, that's when Skip got into heroin, you know. And so that's what happened. And then I was in New York trying to, you know, I say, well, that's the story. And so you. That's really the story. The chick that he took off with, he met with the Stones, is what I was saying in the beginning. This, and this was all, this was all in New York, right? What? This is all in New York during the WOW sessions. Yeah. And with, with WOW was the great jam, which you, you were not on. Was that because you were in L.A.? With Terry I, I, I just quit after all that shit, you know, after all that shit, because I just, well, I mean, guys, man, I know what I ask you, you know, it's ridiculous. But you guys, you. It's, it's you, fucking you, ridiculous, you know? So fuck it, you know? And then, then you came back. I, then, so, no, they got me back. Yeah. I mean, even though Skippy wasn't there, me and Jerry and Don had to go do these gigs. Yeah, and Skip and and Bob, you know, so we had to get out there and do these songs. We're Skip, you know, 
And you know, that was a drag, man. But we well, did it. We were sort of, we had to do these two more records for Columbia, you know. And I, we, we I, did those. And then we got skipped back later. It's even, oh, we great. You never get out. It's not, it's still happening. It's like, it's, it's so it better be cool, you know. I think those two, those two last records, 69 and Truly Fine Citizen, are actually great records. And I, I think they're underappreciated in just well, the, the no, country. No, no, no. No, 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 they're not great records, man. No, man. You I'll tell you I'll tell you my perspective of it. It's early, it's early country rock. Okay. And okay, that, but, it, but everybody liked us, so they were always copying our shit. You know? Yeah, that was it this was this was great stuff. And when you took when you mentioned earlier that Ricky Nelson was one of the heroes, I could Okay, but I, I mean but that. I'm saying like but it's just, it doesn't stop at that. It's like then there's somebody like the Doobie brothers that kicks your ass, you know. Well, that's, you know, we keep building upon the... the well, that's what it is. That's okay. what it is. It's like, and it never fucking stops. It's like, right. so So your goal has to just want to just keep wanting to be a good musician or trying to become one, you know, and then you're going to be sort of all right. That's, I heard Bob Dylan say that on his documentary, you know, like they told, you know, he was saying, well, you know, everybody wants to stop time. You know, but of course nobody can do that. And and then he says something else about it, like I was just saying. But that's the important thing. You know? I want to ask you. You you I I I really do like sixty nine. Truly fine citizen. And when you look yeah. at it from your perspective, is it the time and that and the experience that sours you on it, or do you feel musically? Those are inferior. No, it's just like, you know, you try to document your life in music, and that's all it was. You know? Yeah. And do the best you can, you know. I mean, what else? It's like when you sit down to write a song, if you've got an album to do, and somebody says, okay, well, we need you to give us this, the masters here. And you say, hmm, what are you going to do here? And so you could write them all in a day. or not, But they still have to be a reflection of, of your your this uh, musical, so what do you what what do you have to say to somebody if you're just being asked to say something? Well, something about your life, you know, or something about something you might both care about. It's not just about you, you, you know. I mean, there's all of those artistic decisions that people make, and you either like the ones they make or you don't. You you like yeah. sixty nine, but it, it wasn't a quote great record because you know it's like a great record is more like there's nothing on it that you would do better oh man i've got i've got five thousand records i could call great you know it's it's a vibe it's the kind well, of record yeah, but, but i mean i mean to me i'm just talking about the the guy that does the record you yeah. know i mean the guy that does the record it, it if there's if you when once you let when we listen to the first record there is absolutely nothing on that thing that I would have changed to make it better. I don't feel like that about 69. Do you think it's because you're a perfectionist? Just kidding with you. Okay, if that's what he wants, <laughs> if that's what you're trying to say. No, 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 I'm Joe. I'm just, I'm just Okay, I no, just, no, I'm just saying that. Funny. <laughs> what separates that from the Eagles, you know? Is that, oh, well, you did it, you did it before the Eagles. I think that. Well, think, okay, okay. But I'm just saying. But they figured it out how to do sure. it. You, as we just talked, building building on on the greats. I mean, 
right here I got uh, the Velvet Underground. You know, no, I'm just saying. I mean, what bar would the Eagles use to say, okay, we made a record we're willing to release now because we've had a certain amount of success with these other records that people bought of, of ours, you know? And the bar would be, well, is there anything on this record that we that anybody would want to do over and make it to make it better? I mean, forget it. Even if it involves taking a song off or, you know, writing something else to fit in with the, what you've got so it makes some kind of, you know, general, it pulls the whole thing together like a movie would depend on some kind of like continuity, you know, correct editing. If, if Don Stevenson wants to think I'm a perfectionist, in, in terms of editing, I would say yes. There we go. That's what I, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, that's, that's how great records or great movies are made. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Yeah. Very true. But then when you see them, You'd say, no, there's nothing I, I would, the artist has to say there was nothing, there's nothing, the, the, at least the bar the Eagles use. And I'm not saying that's a bar everybody uses, but the Eagles have sold a shitload of records. That's right. That's okay, right. Okay, so all I'm saying is like, you know, if you, if you can't learn from my mistakes, I can't learn from yours, you know. Well, I'll tell you this. I would take Moby 69 and Philly Fine Citizen over some Eagles records. Well, yeah, because it's like about it's about these guys going through some shit. Yeah, and that's what you're hearing. Yeah, when okay. you record, you you. I, I know, but yeah. but that's a whole different. But don't you understand? It's a whole different. That what Columbia wants is the Eagles. Right. Of course, they want to make money. But but they were still like there was enough people that were buying just as it, no matter what we did, they would have listened to it because they liked the first record about another unsung hero former bandmate actually got two more questions time but bob, bob mosley what what's the latest with bob i know over the years he's had mental mental health challenges he was homeless for a little bit and you had helped him a number of times throughout the years and curious yeah. if there's any whereabouts well he lives in uh, watsonville and he's got a lovely wife connie who is the head of marketing for the Grateful Dead, strangely enough, but she came to a gig. When I got Bob, finally, he was homeless, living by the side of I-5 down by San Diego in a cardboard box. And, you know, I mean, I had to go get him. I found out where he was, and I went and I got him. And we, I got him, and we did a gig up in San Francisco, and she was at the gig, this chick that was his big fan, when he was like in the band at the beginning we were all hanging out you know and then she came to see the band because she was a fan of ours as chick and she had become the head of marketing for the dead and came to see moby grape because we were playing up there and she said what the fuck it was in the papers it was a big deal we're gonna play you know they they're gonna play here you know and so everybody came to this gig and she saw bob bob was off the wall man we had tie attached Tyron Porter play the bass, but Bob got up there and he could still sing, but he was like, he'd like the guy in, 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 in Treasure Island, Ben Gunn, they find this guy on the island that's been living by himself in these rags and has his hair all long and white and his beard white. And it was Bob, you know, on stage singing, but he had to say, the fuck it, Bob Mosley, man, you know, I mean, what, what, because he used to be this very cool, handsome young man with this kind of beetle here, but very, you know, he was not crazy. Bob is not crazy. He was a fucking 
hard ass, you know, like football player in high school could fucking sing like like a black guy. I mean, with soul, like like uh, Otis Redding kind of thing, you know. And somebody was this good-looking white guy that played the bass at the same time, you know. I mean, he was cool, and there he was at the end, you know. He was 19 with something or other. No, I mean, when was that? Early early 90s, man. But but I mean, Moby Grape, it split up, and everybody had gone, like, and become like these, and you know, like I had my own wandering ears, I'd call them. You know, then I got back, and we did some more gigs, and I had a place to sleep that night. And, and then I met my wife here, and then we sort of, put my life back together for the last 30 years we've been together. But, but Moby Graves country, some, you know, we didn't get to buy our, we, our manager was buying his house in Malibu with our money. And when we should have been buying our own houses with that money in Laurel Canyon or wherever, and maybe our career would have gone to a different level, you know, but what, what happened is we just became, you know, we, we were back, you know, we got the remnants of these crazy fuckers up there, and their gig was fucking great. I mean, we sent, I had those guys, I, I made those guys rehearse until they got it right, you know. You know all the screaming and yelling, we did this gig, and she was there at this gig, this chick. And so, and the long story short, they got married, and now he has a place to live, and he's nice, and he's not crazy anymore. So I'm just saying, when Amazing. people start making judgments about crazies, you got to be careful because it's like everybody's crazy. You just put enough pressure on them. These I'm guys that I'm talking about just had enough pressure put on them to actually have that thing come out. And then people saw it and they said, well, they're crazy. You know, so here they are. I mean, who are you? You're who people think you are. People think you're crazy. You're crazy. People think you're not crazy. You're not, you know? I mean, here's the truth, man, you know? I mean, people are, I just got through writing a song about it last night called that one act of simple kindness, you know, and it can change the whole, whole thing. You know I mean? It just, it, it, your perception of somebody completely flips from one thing to, from bad to good. Well, I'm happy, I I'm mean, happy it's like, to hear this. Yeah. Well, we believed all that in the sixties. See, there was this thing we had going and then it got destroyed at Altamont by the Hell's Angels. You, you, know? you guys didn't play Altamont, right? You did Monterey. No, no, no. They wanted us to. No, we did fuck it. You know, you know, play that. The Monterey Pop Festival was a, was beautiful. Yeah. Tell me, oh, tell me your man. your key recollection of of that. Well, it was a you know the first time I took acid. David Crosby gave me this purple haze, man. He said, "Yeah, you're in the club, but you have not been initiated yet." And he hands me this purple haze. So I split it That's with cool. the bass player, and you know. Man, that shit was strong. I thought I was dead. I, I really did. I, I, in fact, I still think I died that that night. And you uh, talked about David David Crosby and the birds, or the birds being a hero of yours. Was that your first time meeting those McGuinn or Crosby oh, or yeah. Pillman? Well, they they had a tremendous influence on me, you know, yeah. as yeah. a mu as a musician, you know. So I just. I just, I don't know. I heard him and it was like, you know, there was, there, they had the sound, you know, that was clear. And to me, it was like what people were trying to sound like, they ended up being able to sound like. And I mean, including the Beatles too. They had this, you know, this like bell, 
It's like it sounded like a bell. It said to me, with all these colors, you know, like the birds, when they sang, it was like there was no, you know, it was a forceful, but the note not distorted, you know. But then they did it by channeling certain frequencies, you know, that Terry Meltzer helped him get, man, you know. And so I heard that, and I just know I, 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 I was, I was a pilot when when I heard them. You know, I was in New York or in school in New York in the, the East as a pilot in the professional pilots program, and I heard the birds on the radio, and I'd been a musician in high school, like I said, with my high school band, and but I decided to be a pilot because you know it's like you get paid at least, and. So I hear the birds, and I just, I just got like I just, I just left, and I, I came back, and it was in <laughs> Purdue, Indiana, which is cold and nasty weather, and all alone for two years, and then I hear the birds, and I just think that's it, man. I'm going, I'm going to go and become one of those guys. I want to be like that, you know. That's I heard them. Like Bob Dylan must have heard Woody Guthrie or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. So, but because I'm a band person, Peter is a band person. Really, I love I love playing with other people, and I I think the the better you are, the more they like they let you play. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. And you know, as just in the subject of bands, you know, you guys got your name back a little while ago. And Bob is around, Don's around, Jerry's around. Has there been any idea or talk of you guys? Oh, no, man. I, well, if something cataclysmic would occur to make that thing, you know, the only way forward, I'm sure we would agree to do that. But yeah. but it would, couldn't be just a decision to show up and prove that we're not dead yet, you know. No, I, I would imagine that the demand for Moby Grape is greater. Well, yeah, but, yeah, it, but would it, would, it would take too much of it would take too much. It's like it'd be an exorcism kind of thing, you know. You know, there there's a certain amount of that. It has to be realigned itself, you know, in order to come up with that kind of, you know, we're willing to stand up on a stage and do these songs. I mean, there would be too. It would be, you know, shaky. I think. You know, when I say shaky, I mean something would have to make that an imperative for right, me. Right. Well, you've been you know, uh, because because I wanted to, you know, it's got to be something that heals you, you know, something more than just, oh yeah, there, you know, it's like you're flashing the pan. You can't do that anymore. I think I think time becomes more precious as you get older. I will say that, and I think the time spent putting together a Moby Grape reunion because of my sense of what's going on here would have to be fueled by more than just a desire to prove that we can do it. And that's all yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. And, and what is, there hasn't been any books, like official books, that any of the members have written. Are you ever considering putting your, your story? Well, there, there, there's a book this guy wrote called, his name yeah, is. Yeah, I saw, that. saw yeah, that. Yeah, that, that thing sucks. But yeah, yeah no, there's, I, but I have this, I have a sort of a book written, but like I say, it's, it's in the third person. I kind of use, I don't like even, I give myself a name in it. Yeah. Well, I don't know there. why. But no, I wanted to write it from an alter ego, you know, not okay. not from a, like I read Chris Hillman's book, which I thought was masterful. Yeah, very Chris, Chris Hillman has no, he's very sure of himself, you know. Yes, he is. 
you know. And then, great. and you, you know, last, I just want to thank you for keeping the legacy of Moby Grape alive through your daughter. I listened to the record that she did where she covered that full first album. And that was awesome. Yeah. That's, that must be a very nice thing to work on with, you, you know, pass those songs and that legacy along to your daughter. That's well, that's it, it's that cool. a, yeah, it's interesting working with her. We're going to play Saturday night over here together, you know, for a few songs. I don't get up with her. I, you know, I don't get up with her every five minutes. She can do this by herself now, you know. I'm just telling her she wanted to learn how to play music. And when she was got out of college, didn't have any jobs. And so, well, I want you to teach me how to do this. I said, are you kidding? I mean, why don't you just start when you were 10? Like, you know, most people have to get, get a, a running jump at this, man. But okay. And so I got her out and got her guitar and just showed her how to play it, you know. And then she could, uh, she worked really hard and figured out what I was trying to teach her. And then now she can sing really good. So she's got a nice high voice so you can hear her and people like her and they have her playing whenever she wants. And we're going to play together on Saturday night. Just me, a couple, few songs. But I like playing with her. You know, I like, uh, yeah, it's fun. I'm so happy to hear that you're, you're still making music. I loved hearing earlier that you said you just wrote a song last night. It's phenomenal. Thank you for, you know, everything you've contributed, all the great music and the great vibe. Well, you're welcome. Thank you, my friend. All right. All right, Peter. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. All right, man. Thank Cheers. you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Legends Podcast by All Day Vinyl. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, share it, subscribe, and follow us and check us out at All Day Vinyl on Instagram and YouTube.